Hey everybody, it's Chris here, welcoming you to another episode of the Casual Future Podcast. What's up? Welcome back, guys. Just so you are aware, thecasualflipper.com is live. Go check that out. And then you can find me on Instagram at thecasualflipper. That's also for YouTube. And then Twitter is casualflipper. Hope to see you. All right, let's get into it. Welcome back, guys. Today is extra, extra special. Why do you ask? Well, we have Matt Ramuzzi on the podcast. He's the owner of Capforge, which is a professional accountant firm based in San Diego. He's also a QuickBooks advisor. If you're an Amazon seller or you're in business, this is a topic that is not discussed nearly enough, and you're going to get a ton and ton, a ton of value out of this episode, so you should definitely tune in. But let's stop listening to me ramble, and let's dive into the conversation that I had with Matt. All right, guys, welcome to the show, Matt of Capforge. We're super pumped to have you on the show today because I really honestly believe good accountant and book to keep in is at the foundation of any successful business. So maybe just to get things started, talk about who you are and what you do. So what our business does is we work with Amazon and e-commerce sellers, whether they're selling on Amazon, eBay, Walmart, what platform, whatever platform, from the very smallest sellers just getting started all the way up to guys doing eight figures and more. We help them with their bookkeeping and accounting. So making sure they're tracking everything correctly, putting it into proper formats, putting it into accounting software so that month to month they can see what's happening. At year end, the taxes are a breeze. And then we can help with other things too, sales tax questions, payroll, et cetera, et cetera. So that's kind of what we do. We help people make sure that they're tracking everything correctly. They're set up right for tax time, getting maximum deductions. And really the main thing is so you can see how your business is doing month to month, apples to apples. How is the business performing? Are you being, making money? Are you growing over time? Um, if you're not kind of keeping score, it's much harder to, to tell if you're winning, right? If you're, <laughs> you're not, not, not sure where you're at, it's hard to know. Is all this time and effort worth it? And how much is it worth? So that's what we help folks do is figure that out. And, uh, you know, we take on the burden of doing all the accounting work. You don't have to learn accounting. But once we've done it for you, you know exactly where you're at. And then we're happy to chat about what does it mean? How do you read the numbers? If you're not a numbers person, no problem. People call all the time and say, hey, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't know what this stuff means or I don't know even where to start. That's fine. We'll help you from A to Z, get you up to speed, and then make sure you understand exactly what you're getting and how to use it to help you in your business. So people listening, if they're kind of just getting started, so you're able to help people right from the starting point. So they don't have to be exactly. like a seasoned vet. It's like, if you're just getting things going, they can call CapForge and get some help. Definitely. I mean, we help people even before they've started their business or just after they've started. A lot of times I tell people it's easier to get started small and, and our pricing and our packages go way down to the very smallest guy to make it affordable, uh, you know, for almost any size business, right? But it's easier to start on the right track then get six months, nine months into it. Now things are going pretty well, but now we have to go back and do mm -hmm. this forensic project to figure out what's been going on for the last year and make sure we didn't miss anything. More often than not, the way it costs you money is you forget stuff that you bought. You maybe use a different credit card or some money you had somewhere else, not in your main account. And that stuff gets forgotten. And those are expenses you could have deducted, things you could have used to help lower your taxes. Uh, but it just got overlooked because it was so long ago. So starting from the beginning is generally a good way to go. And what made you decide to put a focus on uh, the e-commerce? 
So we had a general accounting and bookkeeping business with all kinds of, you know, the typical Main Street clients, you know, restaurants and doctors and lawyers and, and people like that. And one day a guy called and said, you know, I do this thing where I sell stuff on Amazon. Can you help me with my books? And I said, well, I, you know, happy to take a look, give it a shot. And we figured that out, helped him out. And he said, hey, I'm in a Facebook forum. Do you mind if I, you know, there's some other people looking. Do you mind if I put your name out there? And just one by one word of mouth and referrals, you know, we got to where we're at. It wasn't an intentional track that we went down. It just, you know, kind of happened. And and now in hindsight, I'm glad because there it's a great community to work with. You know, I love working with online entrepreneurs. They're more switched on. They're more willing to, you know, work with somebody who's not just in their backyard, but, you know, they're looking for who can give me the best service, not just who's closest to me geographically, because you can find someone down the road from wherever you live that'll help you with accounting, but chances are you'll be their first Amazon client or their first eBay client, and they won't know how PayPal works or how eBay works or any of that stuff, and they'll be making mistakes on your dime, whereas us with 500 clients having done this, doing this now literally day in and day out, you know, a lot of times we're the first ones to tell our clients about new things that we see or changes in the rules or things because we're doing it all the time and they weren't even aware. So it just helps to work with somebody who's really familiar. You don't have to explain how your business works. We know what you're all about and we can help you from that perspective. Yeah, that's something that I think is super key. I know for myself, you know, I, I don't come from a super business background. It's just all very new to me. And it was like, painful trying to understand the bookkeeping and everything and i did like i think that's a common mistake people might make is they look local and i called literally every single place or like every tax and bookkeeping place in my local area and none of them had ever worked with an amazon seller right. and i felt a little wary of that because there were certain things i had questions about like that tax invoice they send you each month i'm thinking i know this benefits me but i'm not really sure how and i always need to get those answers Eventually, I got linked up with someone that knew a little bit about it, but this kind of brings me to the point. So kind of going back to the beginning in a sense, though, so you can work with anyone anywhere in the world. So people from Canada, right. Europe, anything, you understand it. Right. The bookkeeping is essentially the same the world over. You, we track all the income that you're making, the deposits you get from Amazon or from eBay or via PayPal. Then we look at what did you sell? How much did those products cost you? We look at the fees that you're paying for the platforms you're on and then any other expenses, software subscriptions. Mm -hmm. And then if you've got a home office, you can write off home office deductions. If you're using your car for the business, we can write off some of those car expenses. We'll look at all that and try and work with you to make sure that, you know, you've got, again, an accurate reflection of how the business is running, how much you're making, how much you're keeping. When it comes to actually filing the income taxes in the US, we can take care of that. Outside of the US, we have great partners who are very familiar again with mm -hmm. the online and e-commerce space. So in Canada, we have a, a CPA firm there that helps our Canadian clients uh, in the UK and EU the same. So that piece, the tax piece is, is really specific to the country and very jurisdictional. So that I wouldn't sort of wade into. If you're in Estonia, I can't you know, help you with your Estonian income taxes. But if the books are done right, then your Estonian CPA is going to be able to get you a very good return, tax return done out of the books. If the books are a mess, whoever they are, wherever in the world, it's going to be much harder to do the taxes right too. Right. So that brings me to the, the thing that I kind of wonder is 
when I was looking for my tax person, I felt very special, but I'm starting to think maybe I shouldn't have. So how unique are Amazon sellers tax returns or should they just be looked at as a small business return? It, it actually is fairly unique. And, um, I, you know, I tell this story pretty often when I'm on podcast, this is a U.S. client, but I think it, it uh, translates all over the place. We had a client who came to us for bookkeeping. He wanted to start the year off right, but he'd been in business for a while and his prior books had been done by somebody else and he was having his taxes done by a local CPA. Then he got a letter from the IRS saying, we think you owe another $75,000. He called his CPA and his CPA said, well, I don't know, I guess you should pay it. And then he stopped taking his calls. Oh. So this client called us and said, hey, Matt, I know you guys didn't do my taxes and you didn't do the books from this period that we're talking about. Can, can you just take a look and see if you can help me out? So we took a look. Not only did he not owe $75,000, but he got a $72,000 refund. Oh, wow. So incredible. Yes, it, it definitely makes a difference. Your average CPA tax preparer who's worked with restaurants and law firms and dentists and doctors and so on, they are used to doing things a certain way. They pull up the same documents they, that you use for any other business and they do the same calculations. But this is not the same business as what they're used to. One example is when Amazon sends you the report of how much money you made for the year, in the US it's the 1099K, they don't deduct any of the money that you didn't get for refunds, discounts, promos, uh, or anything like that. So the amount they send you includes money you never got and wasn't on any other summary statement. So the 1099 amount is higher by a by about 10% on, on average than any other number that you're gonna get reported. So if the IRS thinks you got an extra 10% of income and there's no offsetting expenses, they're gonna imagine that you just had more profits than you reported and they're gonna send you a tax bill. So this is something your, your average CPA, if they're not familiar with Amazon or e-commerce clients is gonna overlook. And we've seen that, that was the biggest example of where we've seen it, but that's not the only time we've seen that happen. It's pretty common. And if the, the tax firm isn't aware of it, they're, they think they're doing it right. It's not that they're trying to screw you or anything. They just don't know what they don't know. And it can cost you money if you don't catch it or realize what's going on. So that being said, it is very important to find someone that knows what they're doing in the e-commerce, particularly even Amazon space. Yes, yes. And even if you're not that big an account, right, it's still, I think, worth finding a specialist. But the bigger you get, the more you stand to lose if a mistake is made, right? If your whole year, all you've done is 10,000 bucks, you know, you, and you get the local guy and, and you're there, he's off by a few hundred dollars. You don't want to ever be off, but that's not the end of the world. But the bigger the business gets, the more that uh, you know, amount that you're off is going to cost you in the long run. So the bigger you get, the more it pays to be with somebody who really understands what's going on. So you're an advocate of QuickBooks. What, why, why QuickBooks? So there's two platforms that are really good for this, and that is QuickBooks and Zero. There's other platforms out there, Wave and GoDaddy and FreshBooks and things. Those are kind of half solutions. They're really not sophisticated enough to do the kind of accounting that this kind of business requires. If you had a little web design business, they'd be great. But for a business that has inventory, you really need a full service accounting software. And that's QuickBooks and Zero. Why we choose QuickBooks over Zero is just because 
in this market in North America, QuickBooks has 95% market share. It's very easy to find people who are familiar with QuickBooks. They know what they're looking at. If they need to make changes or run reports, they know how to do all that. Zero is very popular in New Zealand, Australia, the EU, they have a bigger footprint there. But really that's the main reason. It, the, the ecosystem for QuickBooks in the US is much bigger and, and North America, Canada included, is much bigger for QuickBooks than it is for Xero. So that's the main reason that we've gone that direction. And, and really, if you're on Xero, there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not saying you should switch. Um, but for us, we find it's easier to work in a pool that's got a lot of people in it versus a small pool with, where it's harder to find talent. And that's just from my end, running a firm where I need to hire a staff who are familiar with the platform. If I was on zero, I'd have to train every single person I hired on a platform they'd never seen before. So it just, mm -hmm. from our perspective, it's easier to work in the, the most common software. Have you worked with any like used booksellers that might uh, have? like a ton of like inventory? Yeah, I do. In fact, I have a client in Arizona who has almost $2 million worth of inventory of used books. And he's been making a fortune because he bought these books years and years ago and he's just been selling down his stock. Yeah. So, and we also do have other clients who either, um, you know, there, there's a smaller scale, they're all books or they've got books and other items, but books are a popular category to this day for our clients. The only reason I ask that is um, it just seems really messy for tracking inventory with books when they all have a different cost and they're only one or two of each one and you could have 500 to 1,000 listings. So I'm not even sure where I'm going with the question, but in terms of the software, like me personally, I haven't even linked my inventory because I just, I've given everything a general cost and I haven't had to do taxes yet. So I don't know what kind of mess I'm creating for myself here. Right. Well, Depending on your products, we've got different ways of handling things. So you're right for a product and, and a lot of retail arbitrage, you've only got one or a few examples of each SKU. You'll never have that SKU again. Uh, and so tracking it and putting it in, we use a different process than for somebody who's moved into wholesale where they might be buying the same product over and over in lots of 500 or 1,000 units or separate again from somebody who's having a product manufactured for them in China, private label, and they're doing something different. So our goal is not to put a huge burden on you to make you go back and have to scan through hundreds or thousands of things that you've bought and assign a cost to each one and, and go through, you know, this huge rigmarole. If the case is that you've bought a lot of books, a lot meaning, you know, 500 units of various books and you scan them after the fact and you know you paid 500 bucks for the pallet or whatever the number was, we'll work with you in a different way than we would for somebody who bought 500 units of a, a, a Lego set or something like that or 500 units of a t-shirt uh, or something. We'll, we'll tailor how we work with you to make sure we're accurate with your numbers, but we're not putting you know, dozens of hours of work back onto you to come up with some numbers for us. So um, I don't, I don't want to get into the weeds on how we do it, but yes, rest assured signing up with us, it doesn't create a ton of homework for you. That's oh, not the enough. goal. <laughs> have you heard of A2X? I believe that's what it's called. I have. Yes. And it is, would you recommend that program for people or? I don't recommend it. Um, the problem with A2X. So I guess I should caveat that and say, if you've done nothing else um, and you want to add A2X, then A2X is certainly better than doing nothing. It will get you close. The problem with A2X is 
A2X works off of the every two week deposit cycle that Amazon uses. So if you want to know, for example, what your sales were in August, what it's going to do is it's going to look at one deposit in early August that has most of July still in it, one deposit in August that may be all of August, and then one deposit from September that has mostly September and a few days in August. And then it's going to try and squish that together and say, okay, here's your August numbers by cutting off two of the three deposits and coming up with some, you know, um, a mix of those three deposits to give you your August numbers. The problem is that never matches the Amazon summary statement. Sometimes it's off by a little, sometimes it's off by quite a bit. I was looking at a client just yesterday who came to us with A2X. The real number for their sales for the month was $305,000. A2X recorded it as $296,000. So that's a $9,000 difference. If you imagine you've got $9,000 more of income than you really do, what's that going to do to your profits? What's that going to mm -hmm. do to your taxes at the end of the year? So it's not bad as a system that if you want to take a quick look and see generally how you're doing, but for accounting, for me to be right, to be defensible, if the, if the tax authorities come back and say, how did you get your numbers? I don't want to have to explain, well, the software did it and it was pretty close, but not exact. Mm, I want to yeah. be able to say, Here's the Amazon summary statement and my books match to the penny every month. And that in turn ties to the 1099 that the CPA used to generate your tax return. Everything matches. So not, I'm not trying to knock the software. It's really Amazon's API that isn't easy to work with and reports things differently in different ways, depending on what you're looking at. But we don't use it because I want my numbers to match exactly to source documents that I can point to. The other place this comes into play is a lot of our clients, once they've grown their business to a certain size, they look at selling them. And the buyer is gonna to wanna to look at those same reports and compare them with the books and make sure that they're getting what they think they're getting. And if your books don't match the reports, they're gonna have a lot of questions for you. And they're gonna to wanna to know why things don't match and why you're reporting a profit that is higher than what they can justify by looking at other things. So to me, it's a, it's a solution you can use in the interim until you're ready to really do it right. Gotcha, that makes sense. Are there any traits you see common in unsuccessful sellers versus successful sellers? And success meaning that they're profitable month over month consistently? Right. I think the biggest thing that we see is people who fly by the seat of their pants tend not to do as well. People who really pay attention to the numbers and are, are intentional about what they're doing, they're tracking the data, they're really making sure that for each product they sell, there is a profitable return. Those folks do well and they continue to do well and continue to grow because they're making money on everything they sell. They're reinvesting it in the business and growing it. People who kind of run around willy nilly, finding a deal here, finding a deal there, throwing it up and not really following through tend to have less good results. Sometimes they're, they're lucky or they're good and they're still making money. But I would say the consistent theme I see is the people that pay the least amount of attention to the data and the metrics and the numbers are also the people who tend to be the least profitable or tend to give up and quit because they're not seeing it work out for them. And I, th that's why I think they're just not picking the right products. They're not testing and making sure that everything they're doing has a positive return for them. 
So the successful ones, are they the same ones that are good at their bookkeeping or not necessarily? No, I mean, a lot of successful people know they're not good at bookkeeping. They know they're not numbers people. They're not going to be taking care of the accounting, but that's something that they then outsource because mm -hmm. they know it's important, but they know they're not going to be the ones to do it. So they'll get some help with it. Um, so I think, you know, that's a difference that we see is most people, actually, the clients that come to us tell us they're not numbers people, but they know the numbers are important. Right. So they want to get help, get accurate numbers, and then be able to use them to make good decisions with. Are there tax strategies out there that people generally aren't utilizing when it comes to Amazon? There's no, uh, you know, single kind of slam dunk uh, right. strategy that, you know, most people overlook that if you just check the right box would, would save you a lot of money. But one thing I will say is a lot of uh, clients will stay as, uh, if they create a business, they'll create an LLC and then they'll stay as an LLC well past the point where it's beneficial, where they could have switched over to being an S corp and saved a lot of money in that regard. So this no. is more of a, a, a US centric strategy, but we do see a lot of folks, there's a lot of advice out on the internet saying, if you're gonna be, you know, gonna set up a business, set up an LLC, um, but they don't really look at it from a tax perspective. And a lot of times being an S corp, will save you thousands, if not tens of thousands of dollars. It's the same business, the same results, but it's just the format of tax entity that you're using. Making that switch can save you a lot of money. Um, again, for reasons, details I won't get into in, in the interest of not boring anyone to death, but it's something to look at. If you're you know, running your business, you've moved beyond being a sole proprietor into a business entity, um, it's worth, taking the time to review and see if I changed my entity, would that be beneficial? A lot of times the answer is yes. We help a lot of clients make that conversion and save, you know, three, four, five years worth of our fees in that one change. And what are some of the, the I'm just going to do a rapid fire here. What are some sure. of the common mistakes you see among sellers? Um, well, again, kind of not paying attention to the data is one right. of the most yeah. common mistakes that people make It's just not, seeing what's working and what's not. And sometimes success you have with some products hides the sins of other products, right? Mm -hmm. We see all the time a client with 20 different products they're selling, three or four are big sellers for them, they do well. Though the profits from that hides the fact that 10 of their other things they're selling are actually losing the money. If they just stopped selling them, <laughs> just <laughs> focused on the winners, they would have been much better off. But, you know, people aren't, if they're not paying attention to, skew by skew results, if they're just looking at the big picture, sometimes they'll miss the fact that they're subsidizing losses with gains from other places. And then kind of, so one thing I read a little bit, not too long ago, and probably, you're probably very familiar with this, is profit first. What are mm -hmm. your takes on, on that strategy? Profit first has gotten real popular in the e-commerce world. Um, and it can be good if you're not particularly good at organizing things and keeping track of where you're at and you're not doing any bookkeeping, then Profit First is a way to help you be more organized. Mm -hmm. The challenge is Profit First works best when you're consistent. So, and it originally kind of was designed for, let's say a guy's a landscaper and he you know, has a certain number of houses he takes care of each month and each month 10,000 bucks comes in and revenue or whatever it is and he's got a certain amount of bills. 
but he finds that at the end of each month, by the time he's paid everything and bought the extra mower and bought the new truck and whatever else, there's no money left. So Profit First helps you be more disciplined about making sure that you're not spending money on the business that you don't need to and you're setting aside a certain amount to consider profit. The problem when it comes to e-commerce is the way you grow an e-commerce business is by continually investing in more inventory. If what you do instead is set aside a certain amount of money that you're not going to spend, you've immediately limited your upside in sales because that money you otherwise would have spent on buying more inventory and growing the business, now you've locked up in a savings account. So if you're at a plateau level where you're happy with, I sell 10,000 a month, 20,000 a month consistently, then Profit First can help you make sure that you're keeping some of that uh, and not blowing it on stuff without realizing it. But if you're trying to level up and continuously grow the volume of sales you're doing each month, then Profit First may actually be holding you back. So it's not a kind of yes or no, black or white answer. It depends where you're at. But I mean, hopefully most people realize at the end of the day, right, your profits are your profits. No matter you have one bank account or four, opening new bank accounts doesn't create profits out of thin air, right? If it did, I'd own 100,000 bank <laughs> accounts, right? That I'd be in the business of opening bank accounts. But it's just a different way to kind of look at slicing up the pie, but it doesn't create profits. It just helps you essentially not spend money you shouldn't be spending on running the business. But if, you know, your goal is growth, then profit first can actually slow that down. So you just have to kind of weigh the pros and cons and consider where you're at with your business, whether or not profit first is a good fit for you or not. So I've kind of implemented a mixture and based on what you're saying, it's kind of like you take out points and bits from it. Cause one of the things that they stress in profit first, and there's like an e-com version of it was to right. really analyze your inventory, which is exactly what you said. So I actually went through my inventory and I was like checking, okay, like this stuff isn't really making a lot of sense. It's just holding up cash flow when it does sell, it's not doing a whole lot for me. And then just being more aware, I guess, of my expenses was something that I took from it as well. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a system that helps you uh, perform better. And if you're not, again, if you're not paying attention to that stuff, it's great to be reminded. It helps you stay more organized. To me, it's kind of like, you know, there's all kinds of diets out there, right? There's a mm. keto diet and there's the, you know, intermittent fasting and on and on and on. But at the end of the day, you know, eat less and exercise more, right? There's sure, lots of ways enough. to get yeah, there, yeah. but that's kind of, uh, you know, that's a system that helps you be a little more disciplined. It gives you a framework to follow, but at the end of the day, you know, sell more and make sure that everything you're selling has a profit margin in it. Otherwise, yeah, no, that <laughs> you're not going to get there. <laughs> Can you offer us maybe some best practices for, to make bookkeeping easier and, or accounting easier? Or are there any apps, you know, that help with, uh, you know, expenses? I know I use one app that tracks my, my mileage, every time I leave the house, it, it asks me if it's for business or for personal. Are there any kind of things people can do? They'll make your job easier. Yeah, I mean, I would say I would start with the real basics, right? The first thing is set up a separate checking account that's just for business, right? Sometimes people will have their Amazon deposits go into a personal account, but Ooh, in mixed with that will be their day job and their mortgage and other, you know, and it's all commingled, which makes it much harder to track what's happening. So set up a separate bank account for your 
Amazon, eBay business, what have you, where your PayPal will deposit into. And then if you use a credit card with the business, try to make that just a business credit card and use a separate card for personal expenses. So again, that way, when we do the bookkeeping or you do your own bookkeeping, however you do it, um, it's not, we're not having to look at each transaction and say, oh, was this one business or was this one personal? Mm -hmm. We can assume in this bank account, we're only going to see business transactions on this credit card. Everything that you run through here is business. And sure, once in a while you slip up and, you know, there's a restaurant or there's something on there that didn't need to be. That's fine. It's a one-off. But by and large, we can assume that what we're looking at is for the business. So just doing that is a great start. And then, yeah, there's lots of apps out there that can help you track it. If you're not ready for QuickBooks and full-on bookkeeping, you know, using something like GoDaddy or, um, you know, Mint or Quicken or, you know, just some form of tracking is better than no tracking. So start with something. And then when you're ready to move up, you know, it's, it's that much easier to kind of get you on track with the full solution. What's your thoughts on doing this? I've set up two credit cards, mm -hmm. one, because I felt I was going through the credit cards with a lot of, there was like a ton of operational expenses and a ton of inventory. And sometimes inventory was like $10 and like $40 and then $400. And sometimes it was from the same store, you know, it might be Walmart. I don't know if that was an office expense or an inventory expense. So I actually set up an inventory credit card and then one for operational expenses where it'd be like office supplies and stuff like that. That's even better. I mean, if you can, you know, some people don't want to open multiple cards or can't for whatever reason, but if you're able to, having one for operational expenses and a separate account for inventory is brilliant. That's That makes it really black and white. Okay, this $5,000 of spend this month, that was all purchases for resale. And this other 2000, that was software subscriptions mm -hmm. and car mileage and you know everything else that went into running that business. And then you can really see apples to oranges, which is which. And if you've got the ability to do that, I would, you know, I would certainly welcome it as somebody who looks right. at this stuff all day and tries to figure out what's what, that would make my job much easier. Well, there you go. That's good advice to get out there then. And another thing I want to say, your website is actually very cool. Like you think an accountant and bookkeeping website would be relatively boring, but you've done a very good job of spicing it up. It's not that it's boring, just like a lot of people think that. I don't think it, it's boring it because it's well. like the foundation of your business. But <laughs> this blog, you get all kinds of cool articles on there that people should check out. Um, FBA training courses, there's about different podcasts. There's all kinds of really cool stuff there for for uh, people that are into this kind of niche, which is really great. And I think that helps with your SEO. If people are just searching the stuff, they might bring you to the website. Um, so all that being said, do you have some must-read resources for people or maybe websites that give you valuable, valuable information about accounting and strategies or bookkeeping and stuff like that other than your website, which it definitely is one of them? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do have on the blog there, um, you know, we have uh, some articles about good forums to visit, good podcasts to listen to. Uh, you know, there's lots of great content out there for people in this space. And I would say to the extent you have the time and resources, you know, check them all out, find mm -hmm. out which one kind of is, is a good fit for the way you're doing business. There's obviously some specific to FBA, some specific to wholesale, some sort of general podcast, uh, you know, general uh, blogs as well. But the more you read, the more you learn, the more you start to see that, you know, knowledge is power for sure, knowing what's going on and thinking about your business. And I guess I would say, you know, being intentional. A lot of people get into this as a side hustle or a hobby, and they don't spend a lot of time kind of 
being strategic at it. But if your goal is to really turn this into something that can can give you a significant amount of, of side income or become a full-time job for you, you really want to be intentional, be strategic about how you're running the business. Think about getting into, you know, it's always about tending to specialize, right? If you're just if you're one day it's hand creams and the next day it's toys and the next day it's t-shirts, you know, that's kind of a hard model to sustain. But if you say, okay, I'm really going to get into, I'm going to be big in clothing, or I'm going to be big in sneakers, or I'm going to be just toys. You tend to get to be an expert in that. And when real deals come along, you know how to snap them up, you know mm -hmm. how to price them right. And then maybe you transition from retail arbitrage into wholesale, or you see a demand in your particular niche, for a product you could create and do your first private label product around something you've already got a lot of familiarity with and you know is going to be a good seller. If you're intentional about it and you know you'll certainly make mistakes and you'll you'll have setbacks, but I think in the long run you get there a lot faster. Whereas if you're just kind of all over the place with it, um, you know, you have a couple slow weeks, you tend to get discouraged and give it up, or you just don't get there as fast as if you're really trying to be thinking about how you want to where you want to be you know like anything right set goals and kind of set yourself milestones and work towards those you're going to get there faster than if you're just sort of all over the place and as an amazon seller i can definitely second that advice i've never heard it articulated that way but i think that's very that's very right what you're saying i primarily do books and i do some toys i'm getting better at it but i can easily spot a good book deal because i know the sales ranks inside and out I know what things sell for. I know how long they're roughly going to sit based on even the comments, how many or not a comment, how many reviews it has. And toys, I find it a little more tricky. Like it's a little bit more of a challenge for me because I haven't done it nearly as much. So I think you're definitely right in saying kind of niche down, find a specialty, crush it, get really good at it, build some profits. And then if you want to expand into wholesale, it might be something to look at. So I think you're right on the ball on that. I would definitely agree. Um, that's cool kind of getting to the end of things here, but how has COVID affected your business? Has it been a negative change or positive change or no change? It's uh, It's been interesting for us because we do still have a, uh, about 30% of our business is sort of main street businesses, brick and mortar kinds of stuff. And so for us, you know, a lot of the restaurant clients we had have had to pause. Some have closed their doors forever. You know, yoga studios and Pilates guys and event planners and things, all those, those folks have, um, you know, our relationship with them has has gone away or been on pause but on the e-commerce side we've been exploding you know some clients have seen a pullback depending on what they're selling but a lot of clients have had their best year ever right. uh you know more people are shopping online it was the trend anyway but you know you can't go to the mall and you can't go to retail stores and you can't shop in person so people have been going to online and so a lot of our clients have been just you know like i said having the, their best year ever and we've been picking up a lot more clients in the space so for us net net we're having a very good year and i, I just feel super fortunate to be able to say that um, but I think our, a lot of our online clients our e-commerce clients are, are experiencing the same thing you know, they've been fortunate yeah, to be in a space that COVID has not impacted as negatively as so many other spaces and if someone wanted to inquire about doing business with you what steps would they take so really, I'd say the first thing to do is just reach out to us. They can send us an email, info at capforge.com, or give us a call on the phone. We answer the phone still all the time, every day. So, you know, whichever contact format they're, they're familiar with or, or feel comfortable with. 
Um, and then we have a conversation with every single person that inquires. And we're always starting from the point of a, it's a consultation. Mm. Are we able to help you? Are we a fit? Is there advice we can give you now that maybe in three months or six months when you're ready, you'll come back? Or it's just a question we'll answer for you and you'll never come back. But, you know, that's okay. I'm a big believer in karma, right? If we can help you, even if you don't ever do business with us, you may know someone else who does or, you know, whatever. We just we put it out there. We'll help everyone we can. And if we engage on a business level at some point, great. If not, you know, no problem. I feel like building the community as a whole benefits us in the long run either way. I would agree. Happy to have those conversations with whoever might be interested. Yeah, that's all I got. I really appreciate your time. I think we added a lot of value and I really appreciate you coming on. No, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it was fun to chat and uh, I'm, I'm happy to put out whatever knowledge and content I can to help people. I love to see people be successful. All right, guys and gals, that's the end of the episode. I really hope you enjoyed it. I had a great conversation here with Matt Ramuzzi of Capforge. If you have any questions, please reach out to me or Matt. Check out the show notes for all of the links and stuff you'll need to find both of us. All right, be well and keep crushing. <laughs>